Rolling Bones Outdoors presents Hunt the World. From Montana to Mexico, Texas to Tajikistan, Alaska to Asia, Colorado to Canada, we hunt the world, and you can too. Do you want to take your hunting skills to the next level? Ever thought about going on that hunting adventure of a lifetime? But didn't know where to start? This podcast will be for you. Our team at Rolling Bones Outdoors is here to help you create memories that will last a lifetime. Are you ready? Let's hunt the world. Hey, thanks for joining us today for this episode of Hunt the World with Rolling Bones Outdoors. Welcome to the Bone Cave. Um, you know, if you're ever in Spearfish, you got to look us up. Just go to Dr. Google, as Brad would call it, and uh, come in and see us. We're here all the time. I'm Brian Maiman, co-founder of Rolling Bones. Across, directly across the table from me is Brad Dito. Brad. Um, Brad Lee. Hashtag 393. And 393 is in here. You can't imagine... I, I, honestly, the 54-inch beams are just amazing. It's just crazy. I love looking at that animal every day. So come on in. To my right is uh, Brian, the mountain man. Yeah, I think it's Brian. Martin. No, I know it's Martin. But I was going to add. Over the Moose Meadows? I was going to add something else. But, <laughs> but I, was, uh, I was careful because I didn't want to open a big can of worms. And to my left is Brian Leslie. Bleep. bleep. So we got we got three Brian's and a Brad. So B B B B B. But it was more like not Doctor Google. It's like biased Google now. B- biased Google. Yeah. You, no. You, it's, you it's, might want to look at DuckDuckGo or hey, something else. Hey, I'm Google. I'm Google. <laughs> or Brave. Yeah, I'm Google. That's and what I use. I don't want you to do anything conservative. Because if I'm liberal, I can be a big pain in the ass. But if I'm conservative, I need to go away. Because if I'm a pain in the ass, and cancel I pro- culture. It, it, it's it's absolute larceny. And federal offense and murder if I'm a, a conservative. Now, I'm not saying I'm conservative or liberal. You figure that out. But I'm just telling you what I can see is that the left is not right and the right is not right. But it's not right to play homage, to pay homage to one and not the other. But why are we talking about that? Because you started that. Well, it's kind of like ballistics. You pr- provide the ballistics to two guns and guys can make an educated decision on what gun they want to shoot. It's really easy. good. Good analogy. If you actually put it out there like that, then people could actually make a decision based on facts. Instead of like giving you a bullet and saying this is a burger bullet and it's a flat-based bullet for a, a bench press gun, I wonder why you can't hit the target at 500 yards. You know, you know what's funny is I, I, I was talking to a friend of mine that is a, it was a way high-up executive for a very large, large uh, financial services firm, mutual fund company, and, um, and uh, literally had thousands and thousands of employees that reported into him. And... Uh, um, super good guy. He, he called today. We've been fishing before um, all over the country and hunting. And, uh, um, and he, was, he was laughing. He goes, hey, why didn't you sell me 1% of Rolling Bones way back when? Um, is there any way I can get in now? And uh, anyway, we were laughing about it, blah, 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 blah. But he said, we were talking about the media today. And he said, hey, you know what? CNN and, and MSNBC, what, literally what they should be able to have to say. Because he asked me, he goes, so what was your biggest 2020 um, media political disappointment? And I said, you know what, for me, it was one thing. It was when CNN and MSNBC went after our governor because she allowed the rally to happen and the state rodeo finals. And there was a half a million people that attended those two venues, and that reignited all of the virus pandemic in America. And yet, the same 
damn week, 18 million kids went back to college, but that had nothing to do with it. Do you liberal? Anyway, how's everybody doing today? We're doing pretty good. Good. If you guys hear something like a goat eating, it's just Brian Martin because he, he, doesn't, he doesn't have any dehydrated food, so he's eating popcorn with a mic right up to his mouth. You hear that? It's like Mr. Ed, right? He's just going at it. It's like a badger chewing on a set of goat nuts. <laughs> so are we, are we going to talk politics? Because I really don't want to today. No, I'm or not Or are we going to talk about... I wasn't talking politics. Are we going to talk about... I was, I, I was, I was talking about unbalanced um, media. The giant, enormous Marco Polo Ram that you shot. Yeah, that's actually what today's podcast is going to be about, is uh, that, that world record on, the, on YouTube. Well, it says world record class, which it, is a bit of an... Um, it, it's a bit of a stretch, which you're, you, know, you were in sales, real estate sales, so you know embellishment. Isn't that what you always say about me? Yeah. So I guess you're a good embellisher. Actually, whoever, but I didn't do that. Uh, well, whoever did it... I just was in, I just in, the, inside of it. So, so whoever did it went ahead and they picked every... Um, search engine optimization opportunity yeah. for them to blow that up. But the good news is, is that I was going to ask you this too. It's had two million views, um, and you've gotten. Uh, you, so you, what's the, what's your uh, like? What you, you've earned like a hundred grand on that, fifty grand. That's hard to say. Probably it's, it hasn't hurt me any. I did get some bad ratings on my Facebook page because that video was seen by some vegans or something that didn't think we were very cool to be hunting Marco Polo because they're endangered and threatened. No, and they've been over there, and they see how, you know. And they but that's not fair. The Marco Polo is a vegetarian, <laughs> and you're just recycling that recyclable. No, but so that did cost me some uh, Facebook points because there's a bunch of people that went on there and didn't like to see that video, and they gave me a zero out of five on our Facebook page. So now no. I'm down to a 4.1 but out of five. Who gives a Honestly, I don't. I'm not worried looks, about that, but it's looks, hilarious. Is, I don't even know it's where to look at a Facebook rating. Is I don't have place? Facebook. It's on the business. Anybody that has a business site, they, you have a rating, just like if you oh, do so a Google. Rolling Bones has one. Yeah, all of them do. Oh, good. I gotta, I'll have to go look. So just like Google has a rating, if you search like sushi restaurants near me and you come up, Google automatically gives it a rating. You don't have to go to TripAdvisor or Travelocity. But basically, it's your there. reviews. Yeah. Gotcha. So it's, it's but unsolicited But it was an amazing reviews. animal. I it mean, was amazing. a giant, but it does say world class. So, so I would, if I was you, I would go out there and I would check our YouTube channel out at Rolling Bones, and then uh, um, and what I is it? Also, uh, I think if you put in Rolling Bones or uh, Rolling Bones No Boundaries, you're gonna you're gonna find it. So, there you go. Well, all you gotta do is put Rolling Bones in. Well, Rolling Bones is not a super common name. Did you not know that? I was. It was a rhetorical question. Oh, then why'd you ask it? <laughs> well, I don't. Because think this is a podcast. I don't oh, think. Oh, so you were going in for a cheap, unsolicited marketing ploy? Boom! Little well, top, I figure there's I, there's also Book to Hunt. I think we have some stuff under Book to Hunt still. Yeah, too. we do. So you can go to both. But of but them. the nice thing, so. if you type Rolling Bones, you don't get a lot of options. No, you don't. Well, there's no. there's that uh, um, race hot car. rod. It, hot it, rod. it pops the up the hot hot hot, the car, the Georgia car guy. Yeah, so if you put outdoors or out adventures or any of those, any of those anything's yeah, outfitters, they're all good or, to go. Or AMO, Asian Mountain Outfitters, same thing. Um, but this one, you don't uh, pop up that. You pop up Eastman's, I think. Eastman's Hunting Journal. And, uh, I think it was, it's underneath Eastman's Elevated. Is it Eastman's Elevated? I believe so, yes. Perfect. Yeah, they did actually two. They actually have one, a longer version on Amazon, um, the streaming. And then they have this one on the YouTube. They made the shorter version uh, on the YouTube, I think, is 16 or 18 minutes. Yeah, you know what? It's well done, and uh, um, and Guy does a great job in narrating it. 
and uh, um, it was good. We, yeah, we did a lot of the narrating and talking there in a hotel room that night after a long drive because we got back and then the, they had to leave the next day, so we didn't have much chance to uh, narrate it or anything. Well, I thought it was I thought it was well done, and uh, um, one and thing is the funniest thing about the story is I say, well, where was the thing shot? I said we were um, about five. I said I think we shot I don't know five or ten miles. I said south of the Afghanistan border, which means we're in Afghanistan, but we were north. So I had some people say, "Oh, you shot it in Afghanistan," because they caught it on the uh, when I'm talking about. Oh, they about caught it on the video. Yeah. So you just had a Freudian slip and said south of it, and it was actually north correct. Of it. Yeah. Because you weren't. I south. wanted to say Afghanistan was south of where we shot. The border was south. Right. But, but I said, we, I, I said, yeah, it was funny because we were a long ways from Afghanistan where we shot it, but. Uh, you, our camp is only about a half mile from the Afghanistan border. We drive along the border, then turn north. My wife would tell you I do that all the time. I say things in the wrong way and then didn't mean them that way, and it causes problems. Well, you know, it's one of those things even the editors didn't know because the editors hadn't been there before. <laughs> I, I opened myself wide open. You guys didn't even jump on that. <clears throat> no, I so, was. I, I figured that it, this was G-rated, and I was going <laughs> to tell my joke that I can't tell that joke. <laughs> But I think you wanted to know the story of how that happened. Yeah, well, what, what I'm interested in, first of all, is there's a lot of listeners that, that think Tajikistan um, and Marco Polo is totally out of their reach. And what I've figured out now, and I, I thought Guy did a great job of explaining um, that he's saved for years um, and, uh, um, and that, uh, you know, he, he – I guess he portrayed the fact that he, he made it sound like the average guy could go do it, which I really believe if a guy really puts his mind to him, the average guy can go do anything he wants to. So I'm, you know, I, I guess. Within I'm reason, from, right? Yeah, no, I think that, you know, I, I'm from that school. And so um, I don't know. Uh, I think if you save for a year, a few years, make it a priority, you can go to Tajikistan. Would that be accurate? Yeah, I think at some point when you're in high school or college, you want to choose a career that it, you know pays better than average because if you like to do this kind of hunting and or if you have a wife and kids, they'll probably be upset if you're spending 50 grand on a hunt. Um, you know, but in general, compared to a North American sheep slam, it's much cheaper. You know, two two or three of your species of sheep in North America are more expensive now than a Marco Polo. Isn't that funny? And rapidly approaching four. Yep. I mean, the doll sheep probably will not pass the Marco Polo in Tajikistan, but there's doll sheep now that are more expensive than Northwest Territory helicopter hunts, like the Bonnet Plume, the really good outfitters in the Yukon, all are in excess of 30 grand, which is more than uh, a Kyrgyzstan Humi Argali, which is a subspecies of the Marco Polo. Those hunts vary from 27 to 32,000, which is where most of your high-end doll sheep are. And then the dull sheep doesn't include the license and tags or the or the air charter, and we don't have that's all included in the Marco Polo hunt. So you're more more expensive to do a dull sheep hunt even in Alaska than you are um, right now uh, to do some of your ones in Kyrgyzstan. I guess that was my point, not Tajikistan, but but most sheep in North America are more expensive than a Kyrgyzstan sheep. All of them are or, now, yeah. really, other than a few of the, the few of the Alaskan outfitters. You might get the mid twenties, but that's it. You know, your dull sheep. Is is basically half price now of a desert and a, a stone and a and a bighorn. In fact, the stones are on average now is 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 more expensive than a bighorn, and almost as expensive as a as a desert. It won't be long before the stones are most expensive across the board on average. So, well, I got to yeah. tell you, the stones my favorite to hunt. Well, there's actually way more Marco Polo than there are stone sheep. People forget about that. Stone sheep actually is, I mean, fairly plentiful, but not near as plentiful as a Marco Polo. Marco Polos are in the tens of thousands, depending 
uh, if you add up all the countries that they live in, which is Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, um, a little bit in no Russia, <laughs> um, Afghanistan, and China. So, and then it'd be a little bit of maybe in Pakistan. So you have just in Tajikistan for sure. I'd say there's more than twenty thousand, and probably not more than twenty six thousand. And no there's kid. no, there's no, no, not even close to that many stone sheet between the Yukon and and, uh, and that's just one country. And then you add all the ones in, in China, the ones in Afghanistan, the ones in Kyrgyzstan. You know, you're probably in the in the fifty thousand range of Marco Polo. So when people say they're endangered, it's really a lie because they're only shooting maybe a, less than two hundred a year. Legally, you do 200 out of 50,000. That's nothing because China doesn't have a hunting season and Afghanistan doesn't have a hunting season for them. And China and China has a, a solid population. Well, anywhere that China borders all those countries, that's why they call it the Great Ark of Wild Sheep. There's a book that was written, and the Great Ark is. Uh, oh, a, I ordered that by the way, and it's super so, old. Book. Yeah, so it's an it's an ark. There's a redone one, but that ark is the China border, basically. The China China has between 10 and 12 argali species, and a Marco Polo is a version of an argali. So. It, all the countries that border the northern breaches of China all have argalis in them, and so China has the most argalis by far, has the most sheep species by far of any country. Not, not no, another country is even close, because they also have blue sheep, they have Ural sheep, they have all the argalis, you know. So a uh, uh, high alt argali, the Hungai argali, the Gobi argali, you got the Humi argali, the Carolini argali, or the Caragonda, and then and then so you have all these different argalis. You have the Linnaldale argali. Marco Polo is there, they call it the Marco Polo Argali. So China has at least 10, and I've heard as many as 12. I mean, some of the subspecies are debatable, but there's a lot. So you, a guy books a hunt with you, yep. and, and you went over there, and you're guiding him. Well, yeah, so I, the reason I know the Eastman so well is when I was in, in college, I, I wrote some articles for them, uh, the, the Father Mike, and I would help them uh, with their, they call it the world, Eastman's World Record Elk Tour. And I would go along with Roger Selner when he was doing the shows and, and help them in the winter and uh, help set up and take down and work with memberships. And it was enjoyable. And then, you know, I, I was in Montana. I helped him when I lived there. And then I moved to British Columbia in 99. And I kept in touch with Mike. And uh, Mike was going to do the Marco Polo originally and take one of his sons with him. And then Mike said, well, you know what? I, I like hunting Cape Buffalo and I like hunting North America. I don't really have to shoot a Marco Polo, but I think Guy would like to do it. And so Guy and I started talking. And in fact, I believe it was his brother that bought an Ibex donation we did through the Big Game Forever banquet out of the Wyoming chapter. And he bought the Ibex donation. And um, then we upgraded it to a Marco Polo. And then Guy's cameraman, Dan Picard, I've known him for quite a few years. I met him through a friend and he used to be a, a elk guide in Montana and he used to do a lot of hunting on uh, Hawaii. So I knew him through both of those, and Dan came along as a cameraman, and he was going to hunt Ibex, and Guy was going to hunt Ibex, and I was just going to guide. And he becomes an integral part of the story later on. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you were just going to guide, so you tell Guy, hey, I'll go guide you, we'll go rock and roll. So how do you ever go from going to guide to killing the world record um, sheep? Well, they <laughs> mean the, the world class. <laughs> Well, it says world record class, <laughs> yeah. But that that was for a search engine optimization at the time we shot it on the yeah. search engine. fourth or ninth or something. It was it, when I did, when I shot it and I came back and looked at SCI. It would have been sixteenth or sixteenth, eighteenth, so top twenty. Yeah, top. But half probably of 1%. realistically, probably if you were to go score it, enter it officially, it's probably in the top thirty right now. You know, every year there's probably one or two shot that score more than it. 
on average, because there's a couple of camps that just have genetics for longer horns. That camp where we hunt has great animals, but it's hard to break 64 or 65. Not that 64 or 65 is small, but the world record hunter kills what was about this, 72. What was this ram? 64. 64. So day one, you're, you, you get in, um, he travels all the way across the world. He goes from where? He goes from? He goes from Wyoming. Yep, to? He probably would have gone to Chicago. Probably Chicago. Usually okay. most hunters go to Chicago, then Istanbul, Turkey. Oh, direct to Istanbul. Yeah, you can go from, there's like six so cities right in the U.S. So right into Tajikistan. Istanbul's, in Istanbul's Turkey. Turkey, and then you go to Right on the border, Bay. though, right? A four and a half hour flight. I mean, everything's close over there, but four and a half hours is close for that part of the world. You fly a bunch of, uh, b across more stand countries and stuff to get there. You fly over like, um, so Dushanbeh, Dushan, Dushanbeh. Yeah, it's on the west central part of uh, Tajikistan. Right. And so we they hunted, don't, you and we, the Marco Polo are hunted on the southern, southeast and the eastern part of Tajikistan. Hold on, because I'm a slow listener, just like a couple of my other buddies that listen to this. So he flies from Chicago direct to where? Chicago to Istanbul, Turkey. Okay, Istanbul, and then from which is Ist about a ten-hour flight. And then from Istanbul to Dushanbe, about four and a half hours. Okay, and then once he's in Dushanbe, we have a one-day drive and a half-day drive. Did you meet hey, him? Okay, this one-day drive. This is kind of like an errand horseback. Four is this twelve-hour drive right or eighteen-hour day? No, it's 12, 12 to thirteen hours of driving time. Real driving time. Real driving time. Because Aaron Fredland says, "Yeah, we got an eight-hour horseback ride," and at eleven hours, when my um, when when I was prolapsing. <laughs> um, we still had two hours left to go. That's so. typical. I've done the same thing. Because you count on a fast guy. And I mean, that, that should say 11 hours of riding, not counting stops. Okay, so here's my question. Um, once you're in uh, Dushanbe, then you pick him up. You picked him up. No, our, our outfitting partners do. I actually came in from another country uh, because I, w I had been hunting. So did you meet him there? I did. So you two jumped That was my second trip to Tajikistan that fall. I did a trip in, in, in October, and then I went to Kyrgyzstan for early November, early and mid-November, and then I believe our hunt started around the 15th or something like of, that. Of what? Of, of November. Of November. Between the 15th and the 20th, it started. Is that so about I as cold him. as I want to be in at 16,000 feet? Is that, it it is gets that, colder. That, that wasn't that I bad. Hmm. I think the coldest night we had was when we spiked out was below minus 10 and above minus 16. I don't remember the exact amount. It when wasn't you say that bad. Spiked out, um, we slept in a in a in a in a hut for two nights, a uh, okay. yak herder's hut. I slept in the tent because it's cleaner than the dried yak shit. But they wanted to sleep in the yak yak tent because they didn't have warm enough sleeping bags. Like yeah, so it's the same. It was right. In the it's the same, same deal. Tracy's yeah. hunt was way earlier. Mm -hmm. We, we yeah. I think we shot the Rams on like sometime in later November. So Dushan Bay is a town. Dushan Bay, am I saying it's that It's the right? capital. It's the yeah. capital. And what's Probably that? one and a half million people oh, okay. or something like okay, that. Okay, perfect. Bigger than Spearfish. Right. Bigger and than Rapid. So then you took off and you head west. Less further. genetic diversity than Minneapolis. Then you head west further. Yes. <laughs> south. We s South and east. You well, basically drive straight south. East. When you go straight south and you hit the Afghanistan border and then you go east. Oh, wow. And then you follow the Afghanistan border. And then when you get to the town of Herok, which is close to Afghanistan, and then you go up in the mountains, and then eventually you, you go about three to four hours east, and then you drop south back down to the Afghanistan border. So, so it's a lot of driving. Yeah, you got six hours one day and 12, 12 hours of driving plus stops to stretch your legs and pee and, and eat, uh, eat lunch. How, how many times do you stop? Is there rest Depends on how on stiff there? everybody's legs get. I mean... I recommend stopping every two to three hours at yeah, least. Because my bladder usually controls the uh, 
duration of intervals. No, we're okay. Yeah, yeah. Every two to three hours. There's yeah. a, okay. there's lots of boulders along the road. You're basically driving along a really steep river for at least six, seven hours. It's a river that separates the two countries. Yeah, super cool looking. Yeah, beautiful place. You see a lot of the donkeys and goats that they still use to pack supplies uh, on the Afghan. There's there's not roads in all the Afghanistan side. For a long time, there was no vehicles on the Afghanistan side. So anyway, we get to um, we get to the camp, do the usual. Um, we shoot. We get guys' guns sh- shooting. I didn't even. T- we have a we have a camp gun there, and I hadn't shot it yet. Um, I so it was focused on guys, and I wasn't even thinking about shooting one because I've been going there since 2005, and this is 2017, so 12 years. And um, so we just focus on you know let's get guy a big ram. And we had another. We had two other hunters in camp from California, both in the ag- agriculture business, and they were hunting together as buddies. So they went east and we went west. And then the first day we went out, <coughs> we saw these rams. I mean, the first day we didn't hunt hard, but the next day ended up being almost too hard because Dan got high altitude sickness to a certain extent. But we found these rams and said, okay, that's a giant. There's another giant. Um, you know, let's go see if we can get them. So we climbed this mountain. We, we, we set up there at 15.9 for about two hours, hoping the rams would come closer to us, but they never got closer than about 13, 1,500 yards. And so we left them. When I hiked off the mountain, Dan was hurting. His lips were turning a little bit blue between the cold weather and the high altitude. And we got back to <laughs> blue camp. Blue lips. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's not good. So we got, we got back. He, you know, he was able to make it. He's the tough. Blue kid usually well, usually the, the, the Usually the most fit guys get the altitude sickness more, more likely. fired anyway. Yeah, so we got back to camp that night. And, and Dan, I mean, hit the hay. Got him hydrated and made sure he wasn't going to kick the bucket. And um, <laughs> so we didn't have to drop him down into a row. Because if people get true high altitude sickness, like if they get like pulmonary edema, yeah. you, know, um, you know, you have to take them, uh, you have to take them down to elevation. You got to get them below 10,000 feet. Usually 9,000 feet, they say, and lower is fine. And Heroic is about 6,500 to 7,000, depending on what part of town. But anyway, he said, I'm not going anywhere tomorrow, guys. And he stayed in bed and we, Kept one of the guys back, obviously looking after him. And then so Guy and I and the, the guides went out. We relocated the sheep. Um, actually, what we did, we took the vehicle up on top. We were trying to take a shortcut because there wasn't much snow. And we got up on top of the mountain, found a couple good rams on the way there, and then relocated the rams. They were all the way back down at the bottom. So we'd driven clear around. We had a drop way down on top of them. And we got within I said, well, let's, let's stalk them. They walked walked out to a place where we could get within about 300, three, I think it was about 300 yards. And they, the, the, obviously the sheep have great eyes and they saw us. And I said, guy, you, got, you know, I gave him the tripod to the spotting scope and I started filming. And I said, you got to go out and shoot off the, uh, the tripod. And the, as the ram turned, you know, he had a decent shot, but then so the ram started walking. He sh- well, this is more stable. The tripod, the shooting sticks have been okay, but normally you don't shoot sitting. But you had to shoot sitting in this place or let the rams spook a little bit and then trot up to the side and throw the bipod down and shoot them when they're going underneath it because they didn't really know what was going on. But he took a rush shot, and as the ram was walking, you know, you're not paying attention to the scope. The, st- the ram stepped out of the, the line of the walking, and so basically the bullet went right over its back because the ram's walking downhill at about a five-degree angle. So as by the time the bullet gets there, the ram steps out of the bullet. How far it. was the shot? Right around 300 yards. 
which is not an easy shot shooting off of a tripod. It was a makeable shot. Had we do it again, I would have probably told him not to shoot, but I was filming. I, just, I didn't tell him to shoot or not shoot. Just made sure he was on the ram, and, you know, so guy can shoot. He's a good hunter. I don't want to tell guys what they can and can't do. Just make sure that they're on the right ram. And um, we would have got a good kill shot if it, it had happened. Well, so we only shot once. So the rams kind of calmed down. We watched them, and they got out there about 1,000 yards, so obviously too far to shoot. He's just shooting a factory gun, and it's not capable. Or should we shoot, you know, at 1,000 yards at animals? Um, so we watched him, watched him go over the top, and we took off after him, right? So this is the second day of hunting, so we're both pretty tired. We climbed up there, got on him again, pretty windy, got within about 550, 600 yards, but a little bit too far for that shot. So we watched him, and then they dropped down through a draw, side hill around, watched him again. They come up on the other hillside about 750. Now they joined with other rams. Now there's over 20 rams and at least a dozen shooters. So in my opinion, a, a, sh a shooter is over 56 inches, 57 inches. So we had... There's a dozen over 56 inches. For sure over 55 a dozen. There's over 20 total. There might wow. have been 24. I, you know, I'd have to go back and look at the footage, but it's the most big rams I'd ever seen at once. I've never seen that many shooters. And there's the one that I ended up shooting, and then another one for sure that was at 60, and a whole bunch that were 57, 58 to 59. And then a ton that are between 53 and 55 that would don't even count. If they're not at least 55, 56, I don't even look at them. So it's like, okay, all those are good, but still too far a shot. So we go back in the dark. The next day we hike up there early, get up there, the rams are gone, right? And then I, and I, and I asked the guide, the, the, the most fit guide, I said, hike up to that ridge because then you can look and I said you might find him and he did and he looked the next ridge over where we killed the ram in October and the, the, the big rams are right on the top of the mountain at 16.5 where they could see everything and they weren't moving so they <laughs> knew that we had no approach said okay this isn't going to work so we hiked out. 16,500. I'm working on my so we, fitness so to we get hiked up to 16.5. Yeah, uh, right now I'm at about 142 feet above sea level. Right. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking, okay, if I do 3,000 uh, feet in elevation on my uh, uh, you know, yeah, elliptical, elliptical day, so 3,000 goes into 16,000, that's a bunch. But you can drive to 14-something. Oh. You know, no. we could drive up to 13 to 14. And That's the way I'm going to do my next And then we had to hike up this draw. <laughs> so we weren't at 16.5. Exactly. We were about 15. You know, we're sitting in this pass where you could see everywhere. And the, the guide uh, came back down. He said, nope. I mean, we got to go. We got to, like, where they're at is too far of a drive and to the hike out. So we got to go clear around. It was about a five-hour drive, six-hour drive. Almost rolled the Jeep a couple times going up through the rocks. And, and we left the Jeep up. We actually took the Jeep to, like, high 14s. And then from there, we walked cross-country for about a mile and a half, two miles, where I could spot the rams. But we figured we could spot them. I did. We spotted them at midday, but again, no approach. So we just sat on them, and, and I watched until dark. Everybody wanted to leave, but I said, we got to watch until dark because a lot of times those rams will move. And sure enough, the group split. And the, big, the, big, the two biggest rams and the other group went this way, and the other group split. So I watched them until absolute dark. So the next morning, we get up. And everybody's cold as crap. I have a tent. I have a big Hildeberg tent we left over there here at one of those Kiron 4s. Everybody else didn't have a warm room of sleep mags. So I think it was minus 13 Fahrenheit that night. And we're Did camped about 14. No, I got a minus 25 bag. So minus 14. So you snuggled in and slept like a baby. I'm not used to that. I just have good stuff. And 
And that most people take a zero or minus 10 degree bag, which is not warm enough. Really, you want at least five or 10 degrees warmer. I wish I could find that bag you have. It's really nice. Is yeah. that a synthetic then or down? No, down. down. You don't want synthetic here. It's too bulky for that kind of cold. Yeah, didn't so you? they they camped I mean, in the shepherd's hut. Truck, so what do you care? They camped in the shepherd's hut. They got the sto- stove going and they were burning yak dung. It's smoky in there. So we ate our dinner. And then in the morning I get up early. And I go up there, and they're still in their sleeping bags. Nobody wants to get up. <laughs> and we get them going and get some hot water and put on fro- you know, cold boots. And everybody's feet are super cold because it just takes a while. And I took the hot water bottle, and I remember we put, I, I put it on everybody's feet. So we got a warm, uh, the three-liter bottle full of wa- uh, a big platypus. Got everybody's feet. And luckily we did that because had we not done that, there was another pretty good ram that we w- we would have walked right into that was probably 56 to 57, and guy would have shot him easy. He was said uh, he said Brian. He said after the after the third day, he said if you see that big ram, um, he said you can you shoot it, because he said, you know he said we want to kill two, and he said I know you don't want to shoot any of the other rams because I could see you too excited. And he said I'm happy with any of those other ones that are 56, 57. What plus. a stand up deal. So, so on, I, I, before we drove around, we went back to camp, and I, and I took our camp, kind of re-zeroed it, so I knew it was perfect out to 550. So I knew we wanted to do a double header, and um, I found out later why I couldn't adjust the scope more. The guides had taken the Picatinny rail off, which is a 20 MOA base, and flipped it around. <laughs> and I'm, I'm shooting it, and I can't get more than 550 on it. Uh, what in the hell? And it's already zero. We don't have a lot of ammo left. So uh, I said, okay, that's let, probably what happened. Let's go ahead and <laughs> chop the top of our turret off. <laughs> so anyway. What, what, what made them? I mean, literally, what would make them do that other than they go, yeah, let's, I just went there. Because I think they were out. checking out how it worked, and maybe they're tightening it, and they took it off, and they don't realize. That they got to have it Yeah, because you way. can flip it around. It was on a board in action. And you can ta- you can flip it around. So anyway, mm, gosh, I know that I got a 500 round. I don't want to shoot it bottomed out. So I said I can turn it to 500, and then after that I'm going to hold the lines because it had lines in the scope. It was one of the Holland's reticles, mm-hmm. um, or MOA reticle. One of the, I don't remember which one, but anyway, it has one two MOA lines. You can see it in a TMOA liner right. and a Leopold. So okay, we got two guns. We're good to go. <laughs> we take off like because everybody's feet were cold, like I said. So that we just missed these rams. And so maybe the big rams and I said, nope, they're not there. There's no way we would have seen them come off the mountain. So as they're going around, let Philo, one of the interpreter interpreters, looked up and I said, keep an eye on the skyline, look everywhere. And he, oh, oh, oh ram, ram, ram. We looked up and there that big ram. It stood up and walked to the skyline. You saw his horns instantly because they tipped and went down. I said, okay, that's them. So we sat there, waited until they went out of sight, and then we made a great big push about another mile and a half up the valley, and then got up on top. And when we got up there, I looked down, and I found the big ram. He was in the bottom, but too far away. And the other big ram, it was good, not, 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 not the one that not, they they'd split up. So they were about 900 yards to 1,000 yards, and the big ram was like 1,200. So we'd already know that this might happen. One of the other guides, we sent up the valley so he could let them see him so that the rams would spook. And then they come up to us. But the problem is, as soon as he started where they could see him, they the, the, the rams with my ram in it went to my right to the other ram. So they weren't coming to us. So there's no way. Now they're going to go spook and go through the pass and be, we'll never see him again probably. So I grabbed Guy and the interpreter and, and, and the, the I left the spine scope up there. And I said, we got to go now. We got to cut him off. So we had to go about 700 yards through boulder fields and keep out of sight. So I keep looking up just in case they bolted. I would know where they came. 
because we had no communication with the guides or nothing. Um, and so it was totally us. So we got up there, and I looked down, and I said, okay, they have to be around 500 yards. And we crawled up, and they were 470. And so... You're right below you. Uh-huh. We actually, so we actually tried to do a, a, a double on the Rams. And... Um, and Guy's ram was courting away, and mine was broadside, and we didn't have much choice. And there was just enough wind or whatever that his bullet went right beside the ram. And mine went right through the ram, but we don't know what happened. All we know is that there's dust and, a, and 11 or 12 rams running wide open. <laughs> and they went, as soon as they, as soon as they ran, they ran there's underneath. There's a lot of horn running. They ran underneath us. 470 is not a close shot. No. So they ran underneath us. They all disappeared. And, and I could tell we got lucky there. They, they did not see us because they had concentrated. They saw the guide over a mile away on the other side of the valley, so they were watching him. And so he was good. Bad that it pushed them where I didn't want them to go, but good that they didn't see us. So when they ran, it's like, oh, shit, they're going to come right underneath us. So I ran right down there, and I'm putting my scope on them. I'm, guys, coming, guys coming down uh, behind me, and I just told Letfield, I said, do not turn off the camera. I said, I don't know what's going to happen. Do not turn it off. I said, you film everything that happens. Do not. I said, is it recording? Yes. I said, good. <laughs> so I, I, so I did a quick. So now this is one of the local guides that's filming you both. The interpreter. He speaks English, though. <laughs> the interpreter. But he and did a good job. He never, t- well, he never turned it off. His interpretation of what you said was to say, uh, did he keep it running? Oh, yeah, 100%. He okay. has good English. He, was a, he, he does a lot of international interpretation, so he's great. I said, do not turn off. We've got enough battery, enough film. So I just pulled, I put my scope on four power. They came underneath us 110 yards. I just go to the first of the first ram. I went right to the back, and there's only 11 instead of 12. And so, and I know my ram is, so I counted, I knew there was like 12. So there's only 11, and my ram's not in it. I said, okay, my ram's either wounded or dead. So I'm not shooting one for sure. I don't need an extra ram. And I said, guy, I said, you get down. It took him a little bit longer to get set up. And I said, you get down and they're going to come out and he got perfect laying down prone and I said and then both let Phil and I said the first one's big the first one's big and it was it was probably the heaviest biggest based ram and just as he shot it was about 280 the uh, the, the the longhorn ram almost he almost got a double header I mean, the bullet went probably an inch in front it's of like it. It's like you on that deer at the Badlands. That exactly. that, that, doe, doe. that doe just Shoot. about committed and suicide. Remember that video? <laughs> and, and, and the bullet come right under its chin and whapped so, that So he shot it, and the ram went through the saddle between us and where we left our stuff up with a guide. So now we don't know, he, does he hit it or not? We think so. It sounded good. You go back and look at the film, you can see the dust on it, but we hadn't replayed the film yet because the guide up there started yelling, though, and hollering. It was good, right? So he knows. So we don't know for sure what's going on. But after he shot his ram, I said, well, where in the hell is my ram? I don't know where my ram is, but he's not here because <laughs> I would have shot him if he went by. And so I walked back to where we shot from and walked just a little bit more, and I'm, start, I'm looking, and I see a red, something red, like the, the color of Brad's mug, like bright red. And the ram is laying in the rock, so his horns are kind of camouflaged. He's laying belly down, chest down, no chin doubt. down, ch- oh, chin really? laying perfect. It's like, he's laying, it's like, it's like it's if like you were like a white-tailed deer hiding from you, like putting his head on the ground. That's what he looked like. Really? Yeah, so I could so see the horns. The blood out of his nose. I mean, blood from the heart shot. Oh, really? So I said, okay, guy, my ram's dead. We know your ram's dead because that guy is too excited for it not to be dead. <laughs> and he was yelling in gibberish because he doesn't speak English to our interpreter. You couldn't, you couldn't interpret it. I could tell it was probably a good thing. <laughs> he wasn't yelling in a bad way. Right. So he comes down, 
And we start taking pictures of the guys, Ram, and got some great photos and videos. So luckily we had some light left. So I said, guy, we better get to my Ram before it's frozen solid and, you know, we run out of light. So about that time, the other guide came up and helped us. He came from the valley. He, he, well, by then, he actually been there for quite a while. He's fast. His, his name is, we call him Saddam. His name is Mahabat Kadam, but my nickname is Saddam, so it stuck. Everybody calls him Saddam. <laughs> so anyway, the three of us went back down <laughs> to my ram, <laughs> and uh, we started, uh, we took pictures. We, we, we probably only had about five, ten minutes. Otherwise, we wouldn't have got the good photos we did. And then Guy was super tired, and I said, Guy, they, by that time, the other two guides, so there was three locals and Guy and I. So those two locals got Guy's ram, and they had to load up with the meat and everything. And I said, Guy, you just pack your gun and your little day pack and follow them so you can get off the mountain before it gets totally dark. And then so uh, Saddam and I worked on the ram for, it took us another hour, you know, in the dark to finish it. And we got it packed up, super heavy packs. And um, it was a long hike. I think it took us two and a half hours, three hours, to hike back to the, the, the cabin in the dark. And I was tired. I mean, sometimes I was sit down and... At 14,000 feet. Well, I killed the ram. We killed the ram. I was at 16.5 when we spotted it. And I was at 16.3 when I shot it, and he died at 16.1. I've never shot that at 16,000. 16,000, so. and you could put a heavy pack on and go for two and a half. And that was, my, that was my last sheep hunt of the year, and that was my 10th sheep hunt that year without an ACL. I blew out my ACL in, in, in August. So that ACL almost dislocated twice going down the mountain. Ryan, mound. the mountain man, not very smart, Martin. <laughs> so it's funny because <laughs> so what? That's a that's a pretty cool story. Hey, great job. So anyway, and that was the biggest. Is that the big? Not the biggest ram you've ever seen. It's the biggest ram I've ever seen. It is or, big, okay. or guided or killed. Okay, so it's the biggest ram you've ever seen. Biggest ram you've guided. Biggest ram you've killed. Yeah. So I, the biggest ibex I've ever seen is dead, and the biggest Marco Polo I've ever seen is dead, which is nice. Wow. wow. It, okay, you sent me a picture the other day. Is that your is that your ram done? No, that was a ram, a good example of a ram summer to that one that a guy had mounted. And I thought it when my friend sent it to me as a good example of made how to mount one. Are you do you have your horns back? It will be shipped this year. It'll be shipped this spring. Do you know where they're at? Oh yeah, they're at the our partner's house in, in uh Heroke. So you know where they're at? Oh yeah, they're in great shape. He's he takes care of stuff perfect. Okay. So 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 there's no fear of you getting it back. You'll get it back. Yes. Yeah, but everything is delayed right now with the COVID, but everybody's got their permits finally, and so we'll start shipping the animals. I mean, mine didn't come earlier how because I... How does the I COVID affect... Uh, um, how does the COVID... Can, can, uh, can a dead Marco Polo horns carry COVID? No, it's just the... It was just delay in the fish and Only wildlife the and the DNC. permits. I didn't know. But anyway, so we hiked out. So the next day, um, the guides took off with, with the meat and hiked out down back to the base camp. So the base camp was miles down the same creek. The, the creek that we killed the ram on is the same one that flows by camp, but, you know, many, many miles downstream. And so we had to go back and get the Jeep, a little closer to the Jeep, but way steeper, so we had to climb back up. So Guy and I would take turns packing my, my sheep horns, and the, guy, the other guy took Guy's horns. So we got a couple cool photos with the ram sitting on the rocks with the packs. I mean, my, I don't know how much it was. It was at least 90 pounds, 100 pounds going out with the horns and life size cape because I didn't take it off the, the, the head. And we took it off at camp. Same with guys. So we had two life size. And then the other guides all went down downstream with the um, – and then the driver, the driver was with us because he didn't go out with us that day. And uh, so we had him to help pack. So we were taking turns. 
So I would pack most of the time, and then Guy would give me breaks uh, two or three times because we had a climb. So when you had a climb from, we had a climb about 800 to 1,000 vertical feet with that weight on. It was not very fun. And then we get out of where you're at. Yeah, then we side-hilled around about 15,000 and then dropped back down to the Jeep at probably 147. Pretty steep. No, it's not steep. Marco Polo honey is typically not treacherous. It's just long. Long. A lot of rock and very steady and very very high elevation, so you're running on minimal oxygen. What's the best way to get ready for it? Um, best thing is don't miss. Practice a lot. You're shooting. And be in reasonably good condition. The so better. I could go and Brad would have trouble. Yeah. <laughs> well, you never know. You might, have, you, you might do bad, and he might do good at elevation because it depends on the person. A lot of it's physiological. And the harder you go the first part of the hunt, the more likely you are to have altitude problems and, and, and issues. The highest I've hunted is 12,000 feet, and 12,000 feet, you really, it sucks. It yeah, sucks you really it start feeling it, but you really start feeling it at 14 and 15 is where I notice it. I've, I've hiked a couple 14ers, and what I found out about myself is that I can get elevation sickness. Well, I don't know if it's sickness, but I can get, uh, like, dizzy and uh, I'm not feeling well. If I ascend or descend super uh, fast, like in a vehicle, if I go up, 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 up real fast and zigzag back and forth, you know? Well, you're not going to, yeah, you're not going to descend far, fast enough walking to make a difference. Right. So, so you, everybody's feet were cold. Everybody's slept cold. They had zeros or 10 below bags. Yeah, so we slept two nights there in the cabin. And uh, what, what did you have for boots? Did you have 400s? Yeah, I did. And so I was cold feet. Because you, you, you don't, they don't make those thousands in those orthotics. They, they don't make them with the ankle support. Yeah. Uh, so that's why you wore that. Yeah, and it's fine. You just put the hot water bottle on your foot. Or there's some of the new heater socks that are out that are electric. You can plug them into a USB battery pack. And so you can wear those. Silk socks, nothing else. I heard at Wickers, to sweat really well. I don't know use silk, but no, I'm teasing you. I, uh, I usually use doubles. Two, two medium, to one medium and one thicker or two medium socks. So and, do you uh, buy a half a size bigger in the winter to be hunting up in there? Mm, I mean, my feet are skinny and narrow anyway, so I can easily wear two good size. So you don't want them too tight, you yeah. know. But the problem is when you sit around. I mean, the ones I get hiking, I can handle hiking a minus 10, you know, with a with a 400 gram thin slate. The right. problem is you put them on in the Blast morning. Last for two hours and you'll be cold. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's where the heater socks are good. So people, there's some electric socks that are out there that you can plug into a USB battery pack and go with it. But, yeah, you learn a lot. I mean, Guy said it was probably the phys physically, as far as just tiring the hardest hunt he's done. And then after we got the ram, we went to try and get some Ibex for the guys. And um, we tried to do a double header. And by the time both guys got on the Ibex, something had, they winded us or smelled us or something, they blew out of there. So and that's the hard part with doing a double header. Like, double headers almost never work. Like, Guy, guy and I tried it. Dan and Guy tried it. We've done it a few times, but it's, you have to have, you want to have it when the animals aren't disturbed. And you need to practice the one, two, three, boom, the one, two, three, boom. Right. If you don't well, do it that way, or because you can't shoot an animal like this and then have the next guy shoot second, they're all running. Right. And the guy shooting second has to be your better shot, traditionally. Or... You, <laughs> no, seriously. Yeah, no, no. Because, well, the first guy, because well, if, if he can't abstain from shooting... Let's put it this way. If he can't abstain from shooting and then... the. It's the fan. Uh, the wheels fall off the bus. You got to have a guy that can follow your animal around while he's running it, around out there. When you try to do a double header, uh, here's the rule: I if, know there, this. if there's a world class <laughs> animal, if there's a world class animal, the best shooter 
if it's if it comes down, that guy shoots right. it because the shooting trying to do a double. And if there's not, and you're just trying to get two, your best shooter should shoot second. I think Brian's yes, if referring equal, to if our mountain goat hunt, Brian. If and here's the reality of it: it's a perspective. I shot mine three times to his one. No, the mountain goat is no. right in the boiler room no. at 500 a mountain yards, goat basically is, no. at the end. So a mountain goat is like a Clydesdale, <laughs> and a Marco Polo is like a high-strung Arab. Like so, a mountain goat sits around and kind of hangs out. They don't take off on a dead run when somebody else shoots one. Um, a Marco Polo. So I understand. You, you can miss, and they're so all I've, dead. Well, running. I shouldn't say I understand this. I've never hunted a Marco Polo. But here's what I have done: I've hunted a lot all over the country and the world. I guess you could say, because um, I've hunted on a few different continents. And when your guide says, "Okay, now you shoot first, and then if you make a great shot, we'll call your shot. Don't shoot again." What does that? What, how do you interpretate that? Uh, potential cluster. No, I understand. But if you were sitting next to me and, and you shot once and hit it and said, the guide said, smoked it, would you follow up and keep shooting three more times? Um, Two more only times. Only if I want to do some ammo testing. If the guy sitting next to you hasn't killed one yet and he walked all the way up the mountain with Probably you. Probably not. I'll well, let yeah. the other guy shoot it and then shoot. Right. Then I you don't. can shoot away, right? I don't think I didn't know if you were going to shoot. I was like, man, what's he taking so long for? So oh, I was like, oh, how long God. did it take? How many shots did it take until your goat started getting nervous and getting out of dodge? Immediately, it ran within twenty yards of his. I was just about ready to squeeze, <laughs> but boom, he shoots it again. The goat runs back eighty yards straight down below me. Again. So I, I made it go closer to you and made an easier shot. So I have my I have my rifle on ten eight or ten power at four hundred yards, and I'm just going like this, following around down here because somebody continues to blow this out of the bottom of the mountain <laughs> with his goat on because he can't stop shooting. And had that been an Ibex, it would have been not two Ibex. Exactly. So, and Or any other shooter but me, um, it wouldn't have been two goats either. Yes, yeah. you, you, you really need to work on your, my arm, Pat, my but, your but, follow-up but, shot. You shouldn't and, take so long. Guy and I almost oh made the double header. <laughs> uh, but you couldn't, even see where, you couldn't even see where his bullet hit. Um, and you couldn't even see it. It looked like mine shot over the animal, but it went right through it. Well, good for you. What 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 a day! Honestly, you did get a double header, though. I mean, you both. Oh, we did. Great it actually animals. worked out better Guys because then his giant. kill shot was perfect because it was so at, at four seventy. Because Let Phila wasn't zoomed out all the way. I said it. I said put it here so you don't miss anything. So he wasn't max zoom, and so unless you slowed it down, a shot would happen. You couldn't see. You couldn't see the impact. His what was he shooting for caliber seven? 300? Uh, I believe he was shooting a 270. That's a really? So he's shooting a 270. And, uh, um, I and don't think it was a 7 mag, was, and I usually don't forget, but I, ended, we were shooting a 7. I was shooting a 7 mag. And he ended up shooting at 400 yards. So he made a good shot. Yeah. And, he, uh, he, he's sponsored by, Sa um, not Savage. Seiko, but yeah, Sav Savage, yeah. and he had a, um, a Zeiss scope. This is my rifle. Shot well. Um, yeah. Hey, so I got a question for you. Um, what was his, 58, 59? 56, but his scored 213 with 16 16 inch bases, um, or 16 and a quarter, and mine was 64 by 15, and his so his was 213, mine was 228. But wow. mass wise, his was a nine and a half year old ram, and mine was 10 and a half, and both of them were maybe the last year they would live. The other ram that he almost got, and the one we tried doing the double on, and the one that almost ran in front was also a nine and a half year old ram. I don't think it was 10. I think there was my Ram bigger, was 10. Bigger Ram? No. But Longer, so. not bigger based. Score-wise, so probably would have scored, I'm going to guess, 218. 218. Because it was probably two to three inches longer, but smaller based. Right. So, so uh, honestly, same Ram. 
I mean, did he kill? Score wise, slightly bigger on the on the longer one, just because of the but length. But nothing compared to yours. No, yeah, the other one was fifty nine to sixty. There was we figured there was two Rams that were fifty nine to sixty one. Mine was the one that we figured was for sure sixty three, and it was sixty four in both horns. <laughs> but what the an thing adventure, is, mo- Brian, but most that's of the cool. big Rams that people shoot are are a lot of times pre scouted, and we nobody knew this Ram was there. Hey, so, so so honestly, what I want to know. What did you think when you walked up to it, and what did Guy think when you two walked up? Well, we knew, I said I told him there's not going to be any ground shrinkage. You know, a lot of animals you walk up and there's ground shrinkage, and like right. you know how Nick Mutt was talking right. about, he had four animals that you walk up to it, and there's not ground shrinkage. And I've had about three or four the same way, right? I had a mountain goat once that was that way. I've had um, a moose that was that way, and I've had uh, two ibex and this one that were that way. When you walk up to it, it's like, oh my. <laughs> think I've o- I think I've only had two. I had that mule deer. When I walked up to it, I was like, "Oh my!" And the brown bear. And, um, no, the brown bear. The brown bear is what I th- we thought it was. It was that caribou. Oh, the horns. Yeah. The, uh, when I walked up to the caribou, I knew it was a good caribou, but I didn't know the horns were that long in the backs. And it, uh-huh. I w- you know, I didn't see double shovels. Th- they said it was a good caribou. Uh-huh. Go ahead, shoot it. So it was the caribou, and uh, um, I'm thinking that's probably. Um, yeah, was it? I haven't killed too many that grew. I've had a couple coyotes grow on me. I was like, "Holy shit, that's a bigger coyote than I thought it was." But but your guy, but anything's relative. If you shot hundreds of coyotes and you shoot one that's five pounds bigger than anything else you've killed, it it jumps out at you. It does. Yeah, so just I'm like a Marco Polo, when you shoot a like that, guy, you walk up on a Marco, most Marco Polo are fifty-five to sixty inches, and they they're big. Right, and if nobody's ever shot one, they pick it up. They go, they can't believe how big it is. And you walk up on a sixty-four or bigger, it's like, oh my. You know, and you start, and you run out of tape, you got 60-inch tape, and you easily start running out. What was Cooley's? Uh, 59. That's a big one. Most, so big, ra- most big Ram stop Has at 59. Back? Oh, yeah, it's mounted. Yeah, I think so. It's mounted, and we haven't been able to go get see it. You need you to know, call Dave. I've had COVID, so have you. Let's go. Yeah. But, but I would say. He would love that, too. He told me every day is Groundhog Day. He said he's so bored. You know, that, call, th- call that son of a sucker and tell him we're coming over. That ram, though, Dave's has over probably 16 and a half inch bases, giant bases. And he's like, he was probably 71 if when you he don't shot text that. him tonight, the three of us need to take some beer and go over there. Yeah, we should. Take we'll some, just go to his game room and have a few beers and invite ourselves over. I, that's you might you give should. a day's notice so you can make sure it's clean. Because usually when you're hanging out like that during COVID, it becomes a disaster. Maybe not the house, your underwear drawer, maybe, but anyway. <laughs> so. Well, that's a cool, cool story, Brian. Yeah. Congratulations. Well, there's a lot of hunting stories out there, but it's definitely. I, and I told Guy, I said, if we don't kill this ram, I, well, I said, well, what about these others? I said, nope, not killing it. I said, we should kill one out of that group because they said, as soon as you kill one, I'm, I'm coming back to hunt this one, and I'm not leaving Tajikistan until it's dead. <laughs> <laughs> and you got him. Yeah. You don't want to miss, though. That was the highest pressure shot I've ever made. Wow. Because we were trying to do a double header, and I was huffing and puffing. We were both huffing and puffing because we belly crawled up there. Are you in better shape than you are now? Well, of course. They well, did yeah, ten, 10 sheep hunts. 10 sheep hunts. Oh, yeah. You, oh, you said that. 10 that, sheep hunts. That, I, yeah. That yeah, was, a ten, a, that was either to, the 10th or the 11th sheep I need to hunt do that I guided. 12. Yeah, that year I One packed year. off. I think, uh, I think that year was either three bighorns and, gosh, I don't remember. All, mainly Marco Polos and, and Ibex. Wow. That was a lot, though. Wow. Well, awesome job, man. I love that story. Listen, if you would like to hear more about Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, Asia, Mongolia, Russia, anything over that, I will tell you this. 
Um, it, it's an amazing place to hunt. I've never been to Tajik or Kyrgyzstan, but I have been to Russia, and uh, it is an amazing, amazing place. The travel is unbelievable. I know people are like, oh, if you don't like to travel, here's be my suggestion: if you don't like to, if you like to travel a little bit, but travel stresses you out, go with somebody who's traveled a lot, and they'll take the stress out for you because it usually, you know, they, they gear it down. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. I've traveled a ton, and uh, um, I've been, I've traveled with guys to get all amped up. And usually by the second or third flight, it, you know, they're mellowed out. They're going, hey, we're going to get there. It's all going to be okay. Well, if you want to fall asleep, just watch, listen to one of Biden's speeches and he'll fall asleep. Yeah. <laughs> or, just, or, or just read his policy. Oh, wait, he doesn't have one. Anyway, let's not go there again. Let's not go there again. Let's just keep rolling here. So, um, hey, thanks for joining us today. Just a quick reminder, visit us at rollingbones.com. If you're interested in this hunt or any other hunt, we have a bunch of vetted outfitters in our adventure catalog that would be great for you. Um, I, I can promise you. The other thing we have is uh, check into our layaway, our hunt layaway program. Uh, we'll help you budget, plan, and uh, get prepared for a hunt like this. I know it sounds crazy, but a guy starts three, four, five, six years. All of a sudden, you got a little bit of money put away, and uh, we will help you get Went on to cheek that. Now, pay later. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, keep checking back because stranger things have happened. We might have hunt financing here real soon for you. But I've even had school teachers that I've helped out, and my one friend, he put $500 a month in an account, and that's how he got his goat and his doll sheep with me. Yeah. Cool. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's, just like, it's just like a priority. You know, some guys drive brand-new pickups and make an $800 a month truck payment. Since I've been 22 years old, the hell with the new pickups. Um, I would rather have uh, um, saved my money and went to the Angava Territory, flew into Shefferville, mm-hmm. and uh, go caribou hunting, you know? Um, so it's just a priority. But uh, we appreciate you joining us. Uh, go check us out at anywhere you get your podcast, Spotify, Google Play, um, any place like that we have. Give us an honest rating. Review us. It helps us. and helps others find us. Um, send us some ideas. Info at rbohome.com. Info at rbohome.com bohome.com and uh, we will uh, maybe take your idea and or question and run a podcast. Brian, it's great having you back, Mr. Martin. Thank you, sir. Love love those stories and uh, I can't wait to dive down into more of what we're doing here. Brad, as always, keep shooting because you're gonna. <laughs> and uh, bleep. Brad's quick on the follow-up shots. He's <laughs> quick on every shot. So, anyway. He's not as fast as 22nd Tony, though. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Until next time, stay safe, be healthy, and keep on hunting.